Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ. The lesson you're about to hear is another in our 2005 Fall Family Focus, Built by the Lord. Ken Green, a gospel preacher from Nashville, Tennessee, presented this lesson about the family, God's Bible School. He talks very specifically about some of the questions that we need to be able to answer for our children so that they will understand how to serve God as they grow older. Open your Bibles. Join with us as we learn about the family. God's Bible School. Well, I've enjoyed being with you today just a whole lot. and enjoyed the worship with you. Very edifying and uplifting. And uh, I'm grateful for the invitation to come and be with you in this time. When I uh, looked at the assignment, uh, the family... God's Bible School, I spent some time in considering just uh, how one might approach that subject. And I guess I thought of two or three different ways that it might be done, but finally decided to consider a principle that we find many times in the Old Testament. We're going to look at some of those passages in just a moment. And I think that principle is also suggested to us in some passages in the New Testament. I might begin this evening by calling your attention to a statement made in Judges, chapter 2. Most of us are aware that the period of the Judges was not a good time in the history of the children of Israel. The theme of the book of Judges is pretty well summed up in the final verse of the book where it says that every man did what was right in his own eyes. But here in the second chapter of Judges, in verse 10, we find a statement that I think gives us a clue as to why that was the case. In Judges 2 and verse 10, it says, When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Now, how could it be that a generation would arise that did not know the Lord, nor the work that he had done for Israel? I would suggest to you that it had to be because some parents were falling down on their job. Let's turn back for a moment to the 10th chapter of the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 10, and here we find... Moses in the land of Egypt and the plagues were being brought by the power of God upon the land. And in the tenth chapter of Exodus, in verses 1 and 2, the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart, and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son, the mighty things I've done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So here this responsibility was given to tell your son. Now the things that they were seeing, their sons after them, and their sons' sons would not see. But they were to pass these things down from generation to generation. In the twelfth chapter of Exodus, We read of the institution of the Passover. 
Here the final plague was going to be brought upon the land, the death of the firstborn. And uh, we find as we come to verse 24 of chapter 12 that the law of Moses says that you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. Now here was a one-time occurrence, the redemption of God's people from the land of Egypt in a powerful and miraculous way. But the law said, you shall observe this thing. Verse 25, it will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord would give you, just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households, so the people bowed their heads and worshipped. So God says this is to be an everlasting ordinance. From generation to generation, the story is to be told to your children and to your children's children. And even today, among the Jews, and, of course, they fail to realize that Christ is the fulfillment of this. Christ, our Passover sacrifice for us. But observant Jews still keep this Passover feast, this Seder feast, they call it. And it is a ritual among them for the son, the eldest son, to raise the question, what does this mean? Why do we eat the matzah, the unleavened bread, and the bitter herbs? What is all of this about? And then the father relates the story of how God delivered their people from their bondage in Egypt. And we just find this principle throughout the Word. When we come over to that sixth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, we find beginning with verse 20, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 20, When your son asked you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? And then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all of his household. And then he brought us out from there that we might bring that he might bring us in. He brought us out that he might bring us in. To give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. And then it would be righteousness for us if we're careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. So again, this responsibility to pass it down from one generation to another. When we come over to Judge, uh, Joshua chapter 4, we read there of the occasion when the children of Israel entered the promised land. They crossed the Jordan River. And the record says in verse 6, Joshua chapter 4 and verse 6, The Lord said that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Now you remember the story of how 
they were told to take the stone from the midst of the Jordan River and to carry them up and to build a monument with them upon the dry land. And in time to come, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And all just really throughout the Old Testament we find that principle. We find it repeated a number of times in the book of Psalms. Think about the last few verses of the 48th Psalm. In Psalm 48, beginning with verse 12, it says, Walk about Zion, go all around her, count her towers. Mark well her bulwarks, consider her palaces, that you may tell it to the generation following. For this is God, our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to death. Do we not have this greater responsibility? To tell it to the generation following. The great things that the Lord has done for us. Or think of the 78th Psalm. Psalm 78 and beginning with verse 5. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God and keep His commandments. Is that principle any less needed today? Of course, we all know that the answer is no. The statement is sometimes made that apostasy is only one generation away. And how true that is. In fact, in the New Testament, when we consider the conversion of many in the city of Ephesus, as given to us in the 19th chapter of the book of Acts, we find such great zeal. We read there of how they burned their manuscripts of sorcery, counted the cost, and 50,000 pieces of silver. I don't know how much that was, but a princely psalm. But they were willing to make that sacrifice. There was such zeal. There was such diligence. There was such love. Later on, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and oh, the great depths of the mystery of God that are set forth in that epistle that was written to the Ephesians. Not really any indication there that they had fallen away in any way. But when we come to Revelation, and we read there the letter that was written to the church in Ephesus, we find that they were rebuked because they had left their first love. I think a generation or two later, there's disagreements as far as the dating of the book of Revelation, but I take the view that it was written probably in the A.D. 90s. A generation or two later, these people were rebuked because they had fallen away from their first love. And so I want us this evening to just consider this principle a little bit. When your children ask... 
And first of all, let's think about the question that our children may ask, or our children's children. Why is this day different from other days? We may be sure that Jewish children asked that question of their parents. They were apparently encouraged to ask such questions. And their parents needed to be ready to give an answer to the generation that followed them. You know, anything that God names in the Bible, I think, has great significance. And do you know the first thing that God named? When we come back to the first chapter of Genesis, and verses 4 and 5, we find the answer to that question. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. The day is the first thing we have record of that God named. And as we read on through this first chapter of Genesis, we have, of course, that great creation account. of How God created the heavens and the earth and all things therein in six days. And as we come to the second chapter of Genesis, we find beginning with verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended His work which he, which he had done. And He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. And then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it He rested from all His work which God had created. And make. And so we have that division of time that we call the week. And what a marvelous testimony to the truth of God's Word that the week is. All of the other divisions of time are based upon the movement of the earth and the heavenly bodies in relation to the earth, the year, the day, even the month based loosely at least upon the revolution of the moon around the earth. But when we come to the week, that seven-day division of time, what's the basis for it? And the fact of the matter is that those who don't believe the Bible don't have the answer to that. And you know, when we study history, we find that there have been attempts through the centuries to do away with that seven-day week. Back in the days of the French Revolution, as they began to create a totally secular society, they tried to do away with the seven-day week, but it just never did catch on. The Soviet Union did the same thing. Tried to make a ten-day week, but it never caught on. And all through the world and all history, we have this division of time that we know is the week. Where did it come from? The only answer that we have is really in the Bible. God made everything in six days and rested the seventh day. And so as we come over to the giving of the law of Moses in the 20th chapter of Exodus, we find that one of the commandments that God gave the children of Israel was to remember the Sabbath day. 
We have no record of Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or anybody before this time being told to remember the Sabbath day. But in the 20th chapter of Exodus and verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. And as we come down to verse 11, we find at least one of the answers that a parent would have given a child in that Old Testament dispensation. Why is this day different? Why do we do no work on this day? Why do we not go to the fields on this day or to our occupation? Verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the Sabbath day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And as we turn to the fifth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, we find the second uh, listing of these Ten Commandments. Beginning with verse 12, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. But as we drop down to verse 15, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And so it was a special day to those people in the Old Testament dispensation. But now we find that a new day has dawned, the first day of the week. And we should encourage our children to ask questions like this. Why is this day different? Now, to a lot of people, it's not different. And to many people, the only difference would be that perhaps our routine is changed. But it needs to be different to everybody. And the reason for that is given to us in the 24th chapter of the book of Luke, where we find that this was the day upon which someone won the victory over death. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 1, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And as we read on, we see that they saw and heard the evidence that the Lord had been raised up from the dead. Now why should we say that it was upon the first day of the week that he was raised? The Sabbatarians argue, the Seventh-day Adventists and other, others who continued to, to keep the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week, that he was raised up on the Sabbath day. But actually, this 24th chapter of Luke pretty well nails it, I think. In fact, I think it absolutely does so. As we come down to verse 7, the angel said, The Son of Man, or quoted the Lord, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Verse 13 says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village that same day was the first day of the week, verse 1. And in verse 21, we find that they said, 
to the one that they thought was a stranger, that we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. So this was the day that Jesus became the first fruits of the resurrection. As Paul described it in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20. And you know, when we think about the matter of the first fruits, we need to understand the beautiful lesson contained in this. In the 23rd chapter of the book of Leviticus, the great lesson in type in the Old Testament. And how these, all of these things are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Back in Leviticus 23, we have uh, the listing of the various feasts and festivals that God authorized in the Old Testament, the Passover, the unleavened bread. And as we come to verse uh, 9, the feast of the first fruits. Now notice in verse 11, Leviticus 23 and verse 11, talking about the priest, he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Now what's the day after the Sabbath? Well, that's the first day of the week. And that was the day that this festival of the first fruits took place. And on the first day of the week, Christ became the first fruits of those who sleep. He is the fulfillment of this. Now, when we drop on down to verse 15, we have the festival that foreshadowed that great day of Pentecost, when the reign of Jesus was first announced. In verse 15 it says, You shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheep of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count fifty days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, that's the Passover Sabbath, and then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. The name Pentecost is from the Greek word that means fifty. Fifty days after the Passover Sabbath. What day was Fifty days after the Passover Sabbath, first day of the week. That's when the reign of Christ was first announced on the day of Pentecost, and that's the second chapter. That's when the church of the Lord Jesus Christ was established. So why is this day different? Because our Lord was raised up and became the first fruits of them that sleep. And all who are in Him shall be raised up in His likeness. Because His spiritual kingdom was established and announced upon the first day of the week. Furthermore, this was the day, as we find in apostolic example, that the disciples came together to break bread, Acts 20 and verse 7. And that we are told to lay by into the treasury in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. We should be ready to tell our children why this day is different. But then, you ever heard a child raise that question? Why are you eating crackers and drinking juice? You know, some of the things that you hear children say, 
or rather amusing, in the assembly. I remember several years ago when I was preaching in Kentucky, uh, my father was taking one little boy out, and he was about four or five years old, and he held out his hand to the audience and said, Someone help me, please. But I've heard uh, children say, I, I want a cracker. <laughs> I want some juice. Probably some little child visiting with parents who are not accustomed to the ritual that we are going through upon that first day of the week. But oh, what an opportunity that is to share with our children the significance of the ritual. And some of the passages that we are so familiar with, the little children are not yet familiar with, and we need to make sure that they know what this is all about. I fear that sometimes parents don't have the time or don't take the time to talk to their children about these matters. And why such is a special time to us and our deep convictions and faith in what the Bible teaches along this line. Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 26, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now what were they eating on that occasion? Well, they were eating the Passover. And so we don't have to wonder what kind of bread. It doesn't really specify in this place that it was the unleavened bread. I remember a preacher, a conservative fellow, in many ways, and he wasn't really advocating uh, that, that we not use the unleavened bread, but he said, really, any kind of bread is authorized because it just says bread. But we know what kind of bread they were eating. And what kind of bread he was referring to when he said, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. My blood shall ratify this new covenant. Just as the blood of animals had ratified the Mosaical covenant. And so, sometime later when the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Another passage so familiar to us, we need to make sure that they are, these verses are familiar to our children. Pass it on to the next generation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, that's why we do it. It's in remembrance of Him. In the same manner, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. Oh, how we need to 
be sure that our son, our daughter, and our children's children understand the principles. Why is that person being dumped in the water? Unfortunately, we don't have nearly as many opportunities today as we did several years ago for such a question to be asked in our assemblies, but I've heard questions like that being asked. Is that the person going swimming, Daddy? The child doesn't understand. But what a great opportunity to sit down with the child with the Bible and pass it on to the next generation. You know, the first record that we have of baptism in the New Testament is given to us in the third chapter of the book of Matthew. We find in Matthew 3, beginning with verse 5, that then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him, that is, by John, in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And as we drop down to verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed them. Why do we do this? Because it's a matter of obedience, for one thing. And Jesus is our great example here. He had no sins. He had no need for forgiveness. We never have record of Jesus offering an animal sacrifice for sins. And yet he was baptized that all righteousness might be fulfilled. We are to follow him in that obedience. But not only that, for us, it is a transitional step. As Paul said in Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27, By faith you are all the sons of God in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It is a factor in our salvation. That's what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. In verse 20 he talks about the salvation, the deliverance of Noah and his family. And then in verse 21 says, The lack figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us. Or as the New King James puts it, there is also an antitype. Namely, baptism. Whereby we are saved. We need to be prepared to share these things with our children. If we're prepared to share them with our children... Perhaps we would be better prepared to share them with anyone with whom we have the opportunity. Why are you paying that money? Some time ago, as the collection basket was passed, I heard one little girl cry out, No, I don't want to give back a portion. But what a great opportunity 
to sit down with our children and explain to them what this is really all about. And explain to them that God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need anything that we have. But this is at least one way, not the only way, but one way that we can indeed lay up treasures in heaven where rust doesn't consume, where moths do not devour, where thieves do not break in and steal. And it's not a matter of God needing our money, but the fact is that in His grace, He permits us to have a part in His program, to share with Him and His great work, to be partners together with Him. What a great opportunity to share with them what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9. In verse 6, beginning, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And all when your children ask, why do you read that book all the time? And by the way, would your children ask that question? I see you read other books and lay them up on the shelves or take them back to the library or sell them in the yard sale. But every day I say you read that book. Why do you read that book all the time? I remember an old man telling me back when I was just a young preacher, just starting, he said, that book is one you'll never get through with. And how true that is. All the time, I, I learn new, th- new things, new truths I hadn't considered before. Why am I always reading this book? Because it's God's Word. All Scripture is God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3, 16. Oh, there's a lot of good books to read, and you know, one thing that I always enjoyed doing with my children was just reading, too. And we've read a lot of things, a lot of the old classics, you know, Little Women and Tom Sawyer and Uncle Remus and the Chronicles of Narnia. I went through the Chronicles of Narnia with all my children. I'm reading it to some of my grandchildren now. Seven volumes, C.S. Lewis, great, great literature. I remember reading Christie by Catherine Marshall. What a wonderful, beautiful book that is. And one of the uh, 
good memories that we have in our family is that we went to the Smokies one year on vacation and the kids wanted to look up Christie's home place. And we finally found the place. The names in the book, by the way, are fictitious, but uh, they're similar to the real places. I think the real town that uh, Christie's home place is close to is Del Rio, Tennessee. That's where they had the big thing over the rooster fighting back uh, a month or two ago and convicted a lot of people for fighting roosters up there in Del Rio. But anyway, we, we uh, had to walk about, uh, we drove as far as we could and then walked another mile back in the woods and found some old dilapidated shacks back there. And the kids still remember that. There's a lot of good things to read. But this book is different. This book is different. And we need to understand that and we need to impress that upon our children. Listen to those words once more in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts, on your house, and on your gates. Why am I always reading this book? Because... As David said in the great 119th Psalm, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Because indeed, this book will keep you from sin. And sin will keep you from this book. And then when our children ask, Why do we pray? Why do we bow our heads and thank God before we eat our bread? Why do we do it? All we need to be ready to share with our children. And there's a lot that we could say about that subject. Let me just close the lesson by pointing out the words of Daniel. Daniel, the second chapter in verse 28. When he came into the presence of the king, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was about to kill all of the sorcerers and the wise men, the Chaldeans of Babylon, because they could not tell him what his dream was. And Daniel said, verse 27, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers, cannot declare to the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And he went on to interpret the dream. That's why we pray, because there is a God in heaven. Because there is a Creator in heaven. Because there is a Heavenly Father in heaven. 
and he hears our prayers. And he has revealed unto us in his word secrets that we need to understand. And we need to impress that truth upon our children. I think of those great words of Jesus in the seventh chapter of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, beginning with verse 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you? Who if his son asks for bread, would give him a stone. Or if he asks for fish, would give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Let us encourage our children to ask the questions. And let us prepare ourselves to pass it on to the next generation. Else, a generation will arise that knows not the Lord, nor His works. And if the story quits being told, it will be because we quit telling the story. I hope this lesson helped you as you strive to learn and know how to pass the will of God on to your children. The family truly is God's instituted Bible school. May we always keep that goal before us as parents. I hope that you're able to answer the questions that Brother Green brought up. Why is this day different? Why do we eat those crackers and drink that juice? Why do we give that money? So many other questions that our kids can bring up. Please be prepared to answer those for your children so that you can pass on God's will to them so that there will never be a generation that doesn't know God. If you have any questions about worshiping God, about teaching the gospel, about teaching it to your children, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please give us a call, 615-794-2359. Or you may contact us through our website, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps somebody gave you this lesson on CD or tape. If so, I'd like to invite you to go to that website I just mentioned, franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there, several more in this series on the family, plus numerous lessons on varying topics. And you're free to download those both in audio and outline format. Use them in whatever way you see fit to glorify God and draw people closer to Him. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him, but more importantly, May you richly bless God.